Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillahirrabbilalamin. Wa sallallahu wa sallama wa baraka ala sayyidina wa habibina wa nabiyina Muhammadin wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Amma ba'd. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Excuse me there, just cough a little bit. Welcome one and all to the Seekers and Sleepers podcast where the central question always is, are we seeking with the seekers or still sleeping with the sleepers? That life is a journey to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the hereafter. And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi said in a hadith which is uh, recorded in Sahih al-Bukhari, Kun fi dunya ka'annaka gharibun aw abiru sabil. Be in this world as though you are a stranger or a traveler the idea of traveling to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to Allah and the akhirah Allah God in the hereafter is really what uh, this podcast is about likewise the podcast even though it is about um, spiritual matters <coughs> concerning the inward law of Islam the ahkam batiniyah uh, the inward rules Nevertheless, uh, we do stress on the obligation of outward rules in Islam. And um, I try to make it clear that in Islam, whenever we, we talk about um, spirituality, Muslim spirituality, it's not a fluffy, sentimental, uh, woolly type of feeling. <clears throat> it's the real deal. It requires for us to roll up our sleeves and to focus on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and with his tawfiq, with his enabling grace, help us to walk the path, starting with fulfilling the obligations and keeping away from the prohibitions, uh, the outward obligations and prohibitions and the inward obligations and prohibitions of the, of the heart too. And then moving on to the inward and the outward recommendations. Doing that with the heart, with a heart that is uh, full of reverence to Allah, sincerity, sincere, um, sincerity to him, uh, in remembrance of him, and desirous of him and the hereafter, being grateful for bringing, guiding us to Islam and the Sunnah, and grateful for the other blessings that we receive in our day-to-day -day lives in 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 summary in a nutshell that is muslim spirituality or islamic spirituality it's not about doing uh lots of dhikr and night uh, and um uh, i don't know giving uh, being nice to people at the expense of the obligations of course it is that as well and likewise, it is not doing the outward obligations, the prayer and the fasting, uh, the commanding good and forbidden evil and so on and so forth, at the expense of the inward obligations of the heart to love Allah, to be patient with his uh, decree, to rely upon Allah, uh, to uh, be sincere to Allah in uh, our worship of him, so on and so forth. So this is really what the podcast is about. If anyone has joined us for the first time or if anyone's uh, listening uh, to the recordings online for the first time, 
there has been a lot of co uh, confusion uh, about this um, over the decades, perhaps over the centuries. And I just want to kind of repeat this matter that the spiritual journey to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is a Sharia-oriented journey, a Sharia-oriented journey which understands that the obligations of the heart are more obligatory or greater in obligation than those of the limbs, but both are an obligation. Actually, that's uh, the saying of Imam Ibn al-Qayyim, rahmatullahi uh, salams to those who have uh, come up and given me salams. The last person I saw on uh, on the screen was Brother Amal. Uh, welcome, Brother Amal, and Jazakumullah khairin for joining us. I think you've been on this show just as much as I have. I think every show that we've done, alhamdulillah, may Allah bless you, Brother Amal. And there are other sisters, uh, brothers and sisters, I'm sure, as well, uh, who have um, uh, joined us for each show. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala increase you all in goodness uh, and draw all uh, us and you closer to him. So um, I said that that was the saying of Imam Ibn al-Qayyim, that really the, uh, the, the inward obligations of the heart are more obligatory than the outward obligations, but both are obligations. Which then brings us nicely on to today's show, where we're going to take a short reading from Imam Ibn al-Qayyim, rahmatullah alayhi. Uh, and the, the title is that Allah acts towards people as they act towards others, or Allah behaves towards us as we behave towards others. Uh, Ibn al-Qayyim, um, also known as Ibn al-Qayyim al-Jawziyah, Ibn al-Qayyim for short, or Ibn al-Qayyim al-Jawziyah, was a Damascan or Syrian scholar of the 8th Islamic century. Uh, he died in the year 751 Hijrah. Um, he is uh, known to have written many works, uh, especially many works that deal with the, the nature of the heart. He has a book called Rawdat al-Muhibbin, The Garden of the Lovers, Zad al-Ma'ad, uh, Provisions for the Hereafter, and uh, his magnum opus, Madarij al-Salikin, The Station of the stations, the spiritual stations of the travelers. And he has this book, Al-Wabil um, al which is a book about dhikr, which is more or less a book about the remembrance of Allah subhanahu ta'ala. And there are a number of, number of English translations, but really I would recommend this translation by the Islamic Tech Society. Uh, they've named it, named it Ibn, Ibn Qayyim al-Jawziya, The Invocations of God. Okay, I would recommend this because the three or four other translations that they uh, that are out there, in order to translate well, of course, every translation is bound to have some some slips and errors. I think that's um, unavoidable. But there are some people whose, if their Arabic is strong, their English is poor. Or if their uh, uh, English is strong, their Arabic is poor. But more often than not, we have translators here in the West whose English is pretty substandard and whose Arabic is even worse. But they all translate. 
and their limited vocabulary, both in Arabic and English, means that they take some of the beautiful language. Ibn al-Qim, when he writes, um, unlike his teacher, Ibn Taymiyyah, who writes fairly simply and straightforward, Ibn, Ibn Taymiyyah's writings are fairly simple and straightforward. I mean, the fact that he that he tackles difficult subjects, I mean, the subject may be difficult, or that he digresses a lot, uh, which makes reading him difficult. But the actual language he uses is generally simple and straightforward. Compare that to his student, Imam Ibn Qayyim al-Jawziyah, whose language, language is oftentimes very rich, very flowery, uh, uh, spiritually profound and deep. Uh, uh, why? Because Ibn al-Qayyim is trying to reach the heart, trying to stir the heart in motion uh, to, uh, to, 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 to yearn for the love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And as such, there has to be a style of speaking or a style of writing that is best suited uh, for that purpose. And so in order to uh, translate Ibn al-Qayyim, uh, the likes of Ibn al-Qayyim, one has to generally have a rich uh, vocabulary in the target language, in this case English, and in the mother language, which is in, in this case classical Arabic. And out of the four or five, I think three or four translations that I've seen over the last um, seven or eight, nine, ten years, uh, this is by far, by far uh, the, the, the best. Uh, and in fact, this translator has translated other spiritual works. And uh, mashallah, may Allah SWT bless the translator and increase him in goodness. Um, as a translator myself, I, um, to use a phrase very loosely, when I read this uh, translation for the first time many, many years back, I was, I was happily envious at the beauty uh, of the way this was translated. It was, you could feel, even in the English, some of the, um, uh, some of the spiritual perfume uh, of Ibn al-Qayyim. This is, this is really how he would have wrote had he lived in 21st century England, right? or, or in, in the West, in the United States, for example. Okay, so um, on page 41 of, of, of the English translation, Ibn al-Qayyim is in a discussion uh, which is all beginning to centre around uh, dhikr, the remembrance of Allah. But before he gets into the meaty bits as such, he's, he's, come, he's mentioning a few things here and there. And then he has this section, which though it in Arabic it doesn't have a title, in the English they've given it a title, God acts towards his servants as his servants act towards others. As his servant acts towards others. Sorry, it's in the singular. God acts towards his servant or God acts towards a person as that person, that servant acts towards others. So let's, uh, let's go for it, inshallah. So Ibn al-Qaim, he starts off by mentioning uh, a sahih hadith, an authentic hadith. Inna Allah Ta'ala witrun yuhibbul witr. So there is this hadith, Ibn al-Qaim says, God is odd-numbered and loves the odd number. God is witr, 
which means odd numbered and he loves the odd numbered and then and then Ibn al-Qaim says likewise Allah is compassionate and loves the and loves those who are compassionate merciful to his compassionate servants Allah also conceals faults and loves those who hides his servants faults he is clement and loves those uh, loves those who pardon forgiving uh, he, is, he, he is clement and loves those who is who pardon he is forgiving and loves those loves those who forgive he is gentle and loves those who are gentle to others but he is angered by those who are coarse rough and pompously hard he is companionable and loves brotherhood amongst men forbearing and loves forbearance good and loves virtuous uh, and loves good good deeds and those who perform them allah is just and loves justice he accepts excuses and loves those who excuse his servants errors and he recompenses his servant in as much as these attributes are present or absent in him so this is the yeah, subhanallah absolutely when i first read this um uh, it's like subhanallah it, it it just gives us a completely deeper outlook on life in the sense that for the sake of allah i want to be taken on board some of the quote unquote qualities of allah as we discussed in uh, an uh, an earlier show uh, some cite it as an a hadith of the prophet but as imam ibn qayyim al-jawziya says in another another one of his works this is not an authentic hadith but the meaning is sound adorn yourself with the qualities of god literally means the qualities of god but it actually means the qualities of godliness okay and here ibn al-qayyim is begin to beginning to remind us of that allah uh, allah has rahma he loves those who have rahma from his servants allah is merciful uh, and he loves those who show compassionate compassion and mercy to his servants allah conceals faults and loves those who conceal other people's faults allah is forgiving and love those who forgive others uh, allah is latif He's gentle. Uh, he's Rafiq. He's gentle and love those, loves those who are gentle to others. Okay, Allah accepts uh, people's excuses, you know, for why they do wrong, and Allah loves those who forgive people their uh, errors and shortcoming. Meaning that certain qualities that Allah Subhanahu wa Taala has at the absolute perfect div divine level then those are the types of qualities at the human level that allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, wants us to have and so ibn al-qim then 
takes it up a step. So Allah forgives, Allah pardons whoever pardons, forgives whoever forgives, excuses whoever excuses, treats justly whoever treats justly. And Allah will befriend whoever, whoever befriends one of his servants. Whoever is merciful to creatures, to him, Allah is merciful. Whoever does good for people, to him, will Allah do good. Whoever is generous to them, to him, Allah will show generosity. Whoever benefits them, Allah will benefit him. Whoever conceals their faults, his faults Allah will conceal. And whoever excuses their errors, his errors Allah will excuse. Meaning Allah will behave towards us as we behave towards others. If we are kind, compassionate, merciful, just, considerate, caring about others, then that is how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will be to us. SubhanAllah. To have the divine generosity uh, env envelop us, encompass us in our lives, it's a matter of learning to be generous to others. It's a matter of remembering that, like myself, other people are Allah's creatures, are, are, are the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And I cannot behave with the creation of God in any which way I choose, but rather I must behave with Allah's creation in a way that is pleasing to Allah and acceptable to him. Let's carry on. Ibn al-Qaim says in the third paragraph, still on page 41, but someone who concerns himself with people's vices and faults Allah will be concerned with his vices and faults. Whoever shames them, Allah will shame him. Whoever bars them from good, whoever bars them from good or grieves them, plots against them or betrays them, Allah will bar him from good, grieve him, plot against him, and betray him. In short, whoever deals with people according to a certain quality, both in this world and the next, uh, sorry, sorry, in short, whoever deals with people according to a certain quality, Allah Ta'ala, Allah exalted is he, will deal with him according to that very same quality, both in this world and the next. For Allah acts with a servant as that servant acts with his fellow men. SubhanAllah. 
and the one who demonstrates or exemplifies this to human perfection is whom? The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The, the prophetic character is the epitome, is the apex of adorn yourself with the qualities of God or of godliness, subhanAllah. And our character shouldn't be just for when we're in the mosque or at a religious gathering or when we're in the company of others. But those who are most deserving of our good uh, good conduct and good character are, uh, is our spouse, our parents, our children, the people whom we live with at home. It is not befitting at all that others, strangers, <coughs> receive our kindness and good character. But those who are related to us, those who are uh, that uh, we live with at home, they don't see anything or receive anything of our good character. Um, and as I mentioned last week, good character isn't just about smiling, isn't just about saying sweet words. Yes, it's, that is good character. But actually, you can smile and say good words even with a dark heart. The idea is for the heart to have nur, light, beauty. The idea is for character, khuluq, or akhlaq, rather, to be rooted in one's nature, in one's khuluq. That's why akhlaq is khuluq, because good character is rooted in, the, in our nature. And we have to work on that more often than not. And that is why I often say that when people are looking for a, a marriage partner, a spouse, uh, sisters are looking for Muslim husbands, husbands are looking for Muslim wives. Um, the real core qualities that make a marriage are spiritual qualities. After um, attachment to Allah and the Prophet وسلم, and after ensuring that um, the, the spouse that I'm considering or the person I'm considering for marriage generally uh, observes the basic Islamic duties and obligations then really the next lot of qualities we're looking for is what the spiritual virtues patience uh, because marriage requires a lot of patience we're living with someone for the rest of our lives in like in one home right okay uh, and you know and there are going to be good and bad days but one needs to be patient one needs to be grateful for uh, uh, the, the the husband or the wives that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala inshallah ta'ala has given me hopefully I've, I've made wise and sensible choices in the light of is the Islamic teachings and therefore if Allah has blessed me with a good spouse 
I should be grateful. Um, again, another spiritual virtue, another quality of the heart. Uh, marriage requires uh, that there be uh, sharing, okay? Um, and sharing, you know, um, when I was single, maybe I, I, you know, I ate all of the food, but now it can't, all of the, the, the sweets or the desserts. And now I'm married. Uh, I, I can't do that. You know, I need to be sharing and not just need to. I want to be sharing, not just want to share. I want to reach. A, I want to be that type of spouse, that type of husband, that type of father, that type of wife, as the, uh, whatever the case may be, where I prefer others over myself. Subhanallah. Um, marriage requires caring and compassion. Again, it's initially a quality of the heart. So sometimes, I don't know if this still happens, and God forbid it still does happen, because it would be such a, a tragedy. But, you know, uh, 15 odd years ago, 20 odd years ago, there, used, there became a small, I don't know, like fad uh, amongst some practicing sisters that when they went off to get married to or when they were looking for a marital partner, the questions that were being asked to some of the brothers, well, um, how many Islamic books do you have on your bookshelf? Do you know Bukhari's golden chain of hadith? Uh, do you know the uh, Do you know the five categories of uh, uh, the five six conditions of five condi five conditions that makes a hadith site? Do you know this? What on earth is that about? Subhanallah. I mean, of course, it'd be nice if you know, as a Muslim, one would expect to have at least the Quran on your bookshelf to to be reading some hadith of the Prophet. But what if I didn't have Bukhari? What if I didn't know the five conditions that makes a hadith authentic? What if I didn't ha know Bukhari's golden chain or Imam Ahmed's golden chain? So what? What is Allah's going to ask me that? That's going to what? Help my marriage? My relationships with my parents? My relationship with my kids? My um, So those type of things, um, when we begin to look at the superficial and look at things only on the surface. And when religion becomes something that I can only outwardly display, our relationships, including our marital relationships, are likely to be very rocky. But rather, character must be something that ideally starts from inside, and then it shows up on the limbs, then it manifests itself. Uh, on the limbs that's character otherwise it is simply just acting all the world's a stage and each one of us are players on that stage having their parts their exits and entrances as, as Shakespeare said and we don't want to play the part we want to be the part. We want to be the real deal. Right? Otherwise, we're in danger of making Islam something like a light switch. When I'm on this show, when I'm doing a talk, when I'm out in the public, I switch on the religious button. 
ping and I'm all Jazakallahu khairan, barakallahu feek, hayakumullah and all these lovely du'as and whatever, whatever. But when I'm away privately or at home, the switch goes off. <laughs> wow, isn't Abu Ali a, a monster? We can't be like that. We can't have this Jekyll and Hyde character. There needs to be some consistency. Our outward and our inward need to be somehow kept in as much balance as possible. Of course, it's easier said than done. But these particular reminders and Ibn al-Qayyim relating it to real spiritual realities that Allah loves those who take on board some of his qualities at the human level. So if ever this question occurs to me that, oh, what kind of things will help me make my character good? All I have to do is go to the Qur'an and see how Allah Jalla Jalalahu describes himself and however Allah Azza wa Jalla describes himself with certain qualities, then in most cases those are the qualities that I want to be embracing. And if I were to see the seerah of the Prophet or read the Shama'il, uh, a book like Imam Tirmidhi's Shama'il Muhammadiyah, which, which describes the Prophet ﷺ, his character, his life, his clothes, his 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 uh, animals, his his utensils in his house, uh, in in detail, in detail. Uh, then I would also see in the Sira and the Shama'il, a ref what type of character that I need to uh, develop, subhanAllah. And for this, the heart cannot be focused on current day celebrities, movie stars, or whomsoever. They need to be focused on the qualities Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions in the book, or the qualities the character that the Prophet has demonstrated in his blessed life, alayhi salatu wasalam. And of course, Allah's awliya, inna awliya Allah, la khawfun alayhim wa la hum yahzunun alladhina amnu wa kanu yattaqoon. Indeed, the awliya of Allah, the saints of Allah, the people of Allah, uh, no fear shall be upon them and nor, neither shall they grieve. They are those who have uh, Iman and they are constantly uh, uh, inwardly and outwardly doing works of taqwa, of piety, as the Quran says. Then the awliya uh, at a lesser level than the prophets, the prophets lesson displays something of the qualities of uh, godliness. Um, but as someone quite right, rightfully said about our age, uh, there is, uh, we feel very uncomfortable sitting with the 
wanting to even sit with the Aulia, with, with the people of God, simply because we're too accustomed to uh, talking too much, laughing too much, uh, spending time uh, in useless things and talking about trivialities. Um, and we just don't want to be serious people. And what is our excuse? Oh, but Islam doesn't tell us to always be serious. Yeah, no, it's true. Allah, Allah doesn't tell us to always be serious. But neither does Allah tell us to live the life that we're living now, which is what? 23, year, 23 hours of the day, I do stupid things. I watch stupid stuff. I watch irrelevant things. I do irrelevant stuff. Nothing for, uh, for my afterlife, nothing for my spiritual or religious development. And, you know, 5, 10, 20, 30, 40 minutes of the 24 hours, I'm serious. No. The balance is, the balance is, of course, we sleep for eight hours a day. I understand that. The balance is, I'm just making these numbers up, okay, but you get the idea. If if 75% or 80% of my waking day isn't doing something serious and the other 5, 10, 15, maybe 20% just relaxing a bit in a halal way, then I'm reading is then I'm reading Islam with the wrong dictionary. I'm reading the Quran with the wrong dictionary. Let's let's continue, inshallah. There's not much more uh, left for Ibn al Qayyim uh, to say here. Um, and then and then after after Ibn al Qayyim says, let's see, he says. Uh, for Allah acts with a servant as that servant acts with his fellow men. Uh, then Imam Ibn al-Qayyim, he says, وَلِهَذَا جَاءَ فِي الْحَدِيثِ He says, uh, and that is why there occurs in one hadith, مَنْ, من سَتَرَ مُسْلِمًا سَتَرَهُ اللَّهُ تَعَالَ فِي الدُّنْيَا وَالْآخِرَةِ It's, a, it's a, a, long, a fairly long hadith, uh, has three or four parts to it. Anyone who conceals uh, the sins of a Muslim, Allah will conceal one of his, uh, his sins in this world and the next. وَمَنْ نَفَّسَ أَنْ مُؤْمِنْ قُرْبَةً مِنْ قُرْبِ الدُّنْيَا نَفَّسَ اللَّهُ تَعَالَ عَنْهُ and whoever relieves a believer uh, of some distress in this world, Allah will relieve from him distresses on the day of judgment. And anyone who eases someone's difficulties... Allah Ta'ala will ease for him his hisab or his reckoning on the day of judgment. Meaning, again, Allah will behave towards us as we behave towards others. Let's read that again. Anyone who conceals the vices of a Muslim, Allah will, Allah will conceal, conceal his vice in this world. Someone sins. And somehow we came to find out about it. Whether they make Tawbah for that sin or not, if they made Tawbah, that's subhanAllah, the, the, you know, they've squared their relationship with God. 
who are we then to go and say, oh, you know, such and such sin? When Allah has not only perhaps wiped it away, you know, forgiven him, that, him or her, but maybe even erased it from the actual record. Who knows? Allah can do that. Allah is generous. Then who would we be? You know, how can we then be the ones to actually mention that which Allah has erased? But even if someone didn't sin, uh, sorry, even if someone didn't repent, didn't make tawbah uh, for their sin, but their sin wasn't done publicly or wasn't intended to be public, then we have then we have no Islamic right to go and spread that sin. In fact, Allah says in the Quran that those who you know who spread the sins of others. Uh, they should beware of the of the anger of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or words to that effect. But here there's something higher than that. Whoever conceals the sins of a Muslim, Allah will conceal his sins in this world and in the hereafter. And then anyone who relieves a believer of some distress, some worry, in this world, Allah will relieve from him a distress on the day of judgment. And we will be in distress. Be sure of that. Illa man rahim rabbu. In the Sahih Hadith, we learn that when all of mankind are raised on the blowing of the trumpet and the judgment is just about to commence mankind will be waiting to be judged and they will be in fear in panic in distress they will be so fearful the prophet said in the hadith in sahil bukhari that they will be perspiring as one does when one is uh, um, you know anxious and anticipating something really bad one begin and one begins to maybe sweat and the prophet said prophet said some people sweat will reach up to their ankles Some people sweat, he said, will reach up to their knees. And some people sweat will reach up to the bridge or the bridge of their noses. You know, in this world, I remember uh, when I first went to Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. Um, I had already been to Jeddah, hot and sweaty. Okay, your clothes soaked. And then I went to Riyadh and after about a two or three hours, my friend said to me, do you notice something, uh, Abu Ali? And I said, no, he said, um, it's hotter in Riyadh than it was in Jeddah. But look at your clothes, there's no sweat. And I thought that's strange because the heat is a is not a humid heat in certain, in, like in Riyadh. It's just hot and it kind of like, like burns the sweat away. Okay, so there are places where maybe you won't sweat, but generally people sweat. I, I'm not saying it doesn't happen in Riyadh as well. 
but on the but no one has a pool of water up to their ankles of in sweat not in this world but in the hereafter that will be the case for some and worse for others it will be a day of distress and how fortunate would be that person who falls under this promise of the Prophet ﷺ that anyone who relieves a believer of some distress in this world, Allah will relieve, relieve from him distress on the day of judgment, on the day that distresses really need to be relieved. So as the Prophet ﷺ said in a Sahih Hadith, he said, خَيْرُ النَّاس The best of people are those who are of who are of most benefit unto others and adorning themselves with what the akhlaqullah keeping it in mind that allah behaves towards will behave towards them as they behave towards others and ibn, ibn al-qaim says and in a hadith whoever releases a muslim from a contract he regrets Allah will release him from his errors. And in another hadith, whoever grants more time to a debtor in hardship or relinquishes something of that debt, Allah will shelter him in the in the shade of his throne, in the shade of his arsh. And remember, that is the day that there will be no shade except Allah's shade. Right. So someone in hardship who owes us money give him more time or better than that say bismillah i forgive you i i forgive you your debt i relinquish my debt over you for the sake of allah subhanallah the believer is the one who is always trying to not just do good but live up to the highest standard uh, of character inshallah ta'ala Ibn al-Qaim says, for as he, that person who forgave the debt or relieved a hardship, as he has sheltered the debtor with his patience, delivering him from the heat of his claim upon him, a burden born in hardship and weakness, so shall Allah deliver him from the burning sun of, day, of judgment day into the shade of the throne. Similar to this is the hadith in Tirmidhi and elsewhere, that one day in a sermon, the Prophet said, and this is where we will end, O assembly of, of those who believe, O, o assembly of believers who believe with their tongue, but in whose heart Iman hasn't truly entered. Do not harm Muslims and do not concern yourself with their faults. For whoever concerns himself with his brother's faults, then with his faults, Allah will be concerned. And anyone with whom, uh, with whose faults Allah is concerned, shall be disgraced, even in the safety of his own house. Even if he be, were to be in the safety of his own house, but this person loves to shame people, loves to expose them, loves to get into cancel culture uh, in those situations where the Sharia totally forbids it, then such a person will never be safe 
from Allah doing to him what he evilly did to others. And none of us can withstand the divine displeasure, even that much of it. So though there are better, re though there are other reasons and perhaps even better reasons, meaning higher Islamic reasons to make the character beautiful, higher reason could be purely just for the love of God, khalas, love of Allah. But to, but to make the character beautiful because Allah will behave towards me beautifully with the sifatul jamal, the, the, the attributes of beauty, not the sifatul jalal, not the strict, not the strict attributes of justice and punishment and weighing everything up properly to find that actually I haven't deserved anything. That if we behave towards people in a good way, then we will find Allah with his jamaliyah, his beautiful qualities, will behave to us, towards us in that beautiful way. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that he make us people of inward and outward beauty in the ways that pleases him and in the way in ways that conform to the teachings of his prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam we ask allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that he make us of benefit to others and not a harm and a hindrance to them we ask allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that he help to help us to beautify our uh, inward and outward uh, qualities uh, and to behave towards people in a beautiful way hoping in the divine generosity to be showered down upon us all wa sallallahu wa sallama wa baraka ala sayyidina wa habibina wa nabiyyina muhammadin wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in alhamdulillah um do we have a few like five ten minutes for q a maybe is that possible Uh, there's a question here. I'll just, um, if you don't mind, I'll just go for that right now. Uh, how do we uh, let light into our hearts if we feel spiritually disconnected? Uh, the question is, why do I feel spiritually disconnected? It could be for a number of reasons. So let's, I'll be brief about this. If it's a matter of that I'm sinning, then that is one of the main causes of, of, of feeling spiritually disconnected and for darkness to kind of uh, be in our hearts because each sin is like a drop of poison and certain sins, if they're major, are more than just drops of poison uh, in the heart. And at some level, the heart is going to begin to shrivel up, shrivel up, shrivel up. And, and the, the light and the life of it, uh, the, the light and the, uh, uh, the life in it is going to be drained. Right. So if it's if that's the case, which it is for many of us, then uh, we need to immediately make tawbah repent to allah with a remorseful heart and and fulfill the obligations that we missed or keep away from the haram that we we did otherwise in general there are three or four things that strengthen 
the heart and allow light to come into the heart. The dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the remembrance of Allah. Reading the Quran, even if it just be a bit, with tadabbur and tafakkur, with some kind of reflection and contemplation. Although reading the Quran now and just out for the sake of barakah, if it's done now and again, is also a great way of, uh, of bringing light into the heart. Sitting with the Ahlullah, the, the people of Allah, keeping spiritual companionship with righteous people such that some of their perfume will rub off on us. Some of their spiritual perfume, some of their spiritual light will kind of just begin to filter into our souls and lift us up is also one of the great ways that the Quran says, be with the truthful ones, meaning be with the righteous ones. Um, and obviously keeping away from the haram. Um, so I hope that's clear. Sometimes the question, sometimes someone says, well, you know what, I, I, I do pray and I do fast. And, you know, I've been, I've been a quote unquote practicing brother. I've, I've been a, a practicing brother or sister for many, many years now. And still I find that there's a spiritual darkness. Then our scholars and our spiritual masters say that um, it's, it's possible that along with doing many good deeds, prayer, fast, charity, and dawah, and so on and so forth, teaching, we are also doing haram at the same time. And they say the example of that is like someone who has the, has the best central heating system in, in his house. He or she has got the, the best and most powerful central heating system. Okay, with the biggest boiler and the best radiators and whatever. And so when the winter comes in, as it has now come in into the UK, okay, so we're getting our usual, like, you know, minus one, minus two degrees. I know that's nothing compared to countries like Canada and certain parts of the United States or certain parts of Western Europe. But it's getting cold. Then we just turn on the radiator and we feel warm. Supposing I turn on the radiator and I, you know, and after about 10, 15 minutes or half an hour, the house is still freezing cold. Then the first thing I think is maybe I didn't turn on the radiator. I go to the ra radiator and find it's not only turned on, the boiler is working. I've checked each radiator separately. They're on. They're very hot. They're working well. Why am I feeling so? Why is the house still cold? Ah, even though the radiator was radiators were on. I didn't close the windows. And because I didn't close the windows, the cold air, the chilly air came in and there was no point in, or there was little point in having the radiators on because they didn't give me the, the warmth or the benefit I expect, uh, expected. The sensible person will turn the radiators on and shut the windows. The foolish one will say, well, I'll just leave the windows wide open and put the radiator you know, to the full maximum because they won't benefit. That will be silly. Likewise, our spiritual masters say it will be silly to do good deeds and yet not stop doing haram deeds. It'll be like keeping the window open and the house will still be cold despite the radiator's on maximum, despite us doing good deeds. 
So that's another uh, reason. Uh, we have to also be aware of what we see and what we hear, because again, sometimes if we're not careful, careful of what goes into our eyes or our ears, they do make inroads into our hearts. So we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for tawfiq. I hope that's uh, an, a, a rough answer to Brother Hassan's question in general. If there's something specific, um, then perhaps um, they can ask someone, inshallah, specifically. Is it permissible to mention someone's sins without disclosing the person in question to learn from their experience? Yes, uh, one can mention anyone's sins uh, with that condition, uh, that uh, one generalizes it. Um, so in that case, uh, one doesn't even have to mention male or female. I, I, I knew someone once who was dealing with interest, riba, and they were having a hard time, whatever. And then as soon as they stopped dealing with it, subhanAllah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brought barakah in their life. Alhamdulillah. Learned from their experience, mentioned it publicly. Um, the sin was mentioned publicly, but alhamdulillah, everyone's honor uh, and hurma, sanctity, was kept intact. Uh, any final questions? Do we have uh, any questions I missed before? Um, how to make children understand the importance of, importance of forgiveness, especially when their parents might be the ones who wrong them? You know, the, I'm not an expert on children. I mean, I have four grown-up children. Um, you know, the, the youngest of them is 21 or 22. Mashallah. Um, but I'm still not an expert uh, by far. But, you know, one thing that is clear about children, um, actions speak louder than words. And children have, a, even young children, have a remarkable way of seeing when adults are being disingenuous or hypocritical. <laughs> so how am I going to make my child understand the importance of forgiveness when I'm wronging them? When what I want them to what I want them to do as a parent, now that I've wronged them, I want them to forgive me. But how would they understand that importance of forgiveness? Because something comes before that, which is where's as far as they're concerned, where is the justice? Where is the fairness? Children by their fitra have this thing about justice implant, implanted in them by Allah. That's why you'll find a, a one and a half or two-year-old baby, they're walking around the, the sitting room, and then they bump into the, uh, the corner of the table, and they get hurt by the corner of the table. And the table didn't move. The baby, because it can't coordinate itself yet, bumps into the table of the corner, it hurts it, and the baby starts crying. At some point, you'll find that most babies, when they stop crying, or as they're crying, they'll go and hit the table. Or if they can speak, they might say naughty table or some words to that effect. And we find that to be funny and odd because like the table didn't do anything, which it didn't. But actually, the fitra of the child is such that you hurt me. So to the way to square everything is that I should hurt you back. That's the nature of a child, first and foremost. The idea of forgiveness for most children comes a bit later. Uh, so we need to attend first to the issue of justice and make them say that, you know what, I am ready to take whatever I deserve for the wrong that I did to you, O, o, o son, O daughter. However, if you can find it in your heart to forgive, 
um, not only will uh, will that be better for us all around, but uh, it will help you become a better person. However, it is your right to, you know, for justice, for fairness. So as parents, we can't use the forgiveness card. If we, we can't use the forgiveness card if it's for our own benefit. I need for them to forgive us so that, no, it shouldn't be like that. Our, our concern should first and foremost be with our children's well-being. And that may mean looking at the issue of justice and fairness first. It may mean, it may not, but it may mean. And in many cases, it will mean that. And Allah knows best. Uh, probably not very helpful, but, but <laughs> inshallah. Uh, right. Um, so, uh, as we behave towards others, uh, doesn't only mean human beings, but animals and plants. In general, it does. You're right, uh, Amal that our behavior should be to animals, trees, plants, to the very earth herself, to the very earth itself. Okay. Uh, okay. When the earth will shake with violent earthquakes and when the earth will uh, vomit up all that it has. And people will say, and man will say, what is wrong with it? And that day the earth will relate its news and say, and, and in the hadith in the Sunnah of Tirmidhi, we read that the Prophet says the earth will relate his news, meaning it will say to Allah, on this day, such and such did such and such on my back, meaning on my surface, and such and such did such and such on my surface, and that is its news. And so, yeah, and the Quran says, those who walk upon the earth lightly. That can actually f mean physically not walking on the earth in a very arrogant, stompy type of way. But it could also mean treading on the earth lightly, uh, meaning having a low carbon footprint, being more ecologically, environmentally concerned. So, yes, whilst Allah does include in our general behavior, uh, not just goodness to humans, but to animals, plants and to the earth itself, which is something we're all failing to do. Uh, in this particular instance, the, the discussion was really with human beings because it's a bit difficult to, um, to show certain qualities to plants um, or the earth in terms of kind of rahmah, but you can do that to animals and human beings who are more sentient type of creatures. But yes, it's a good reminder, Amul. May Allah bless you. Uh, we should be good to animals there are so many hadiths about that uh, the quran speaks about you know other animals are communities of worship in allah and they have their own rights so may allah bless you perhaps we will tackle that as a uh, address that as a topic inshallah ta'ala i was I, I wrote about it uh islam's earth ethics and the earth's complaint uh, an article on the humble eye um, i wrote it about 10 years ago but it's still there on the humble eye how do we, uh, I think, let's make this the last question. How do we deal with someone who continuously causes harm, cause harm and create difficult situations to others? Is it permissible to disclose about that person to others? Okay. Um, some of these really need to be discussed. What do you mean here? What do you mean there? So I have to be very general. Um, but it's not, it's not always forbidden to mention people by name. 
if, for example, um, as an instance, uh, a wife is experienced problems with her husband or her husband or the husband with the wife, and she goes to a mufti with the intention of, I need to ask this mufti for sound religious advice. Then the, the, the wife can say, mufti, dear mufti, uh, my husband, he does this and this uh, to me or against me. Islamically, what should I do? And that will not be obviously backbiting because you went to a person who was the right person to help resolve resolve the situation. In this case, he's a qualified mufti. He may not give the, the you know you the answer that you were looking for, but the point being is you're allowed to mention by name. That's uh, one instance. So sometimes we can uh, disclose something about the person's father. Or, for example. I have someone that I know. He's not a mufti. He's not, he or she's not a qualified scholar. But you know what? They are people of sound judgment and wise. Uh, and I'm going to get some advice from them. So if I seek advice from them with that intention, I'm al allowed to mention who it is if mentioning them will help the person to give me better advice. Because maybe they know the person as well. So they know, oh, right, okay, yes, well, in that case. But let's say they didn't know the person. Then maybe there's no point in mentioning the name of the person. I just need to mention the situation. And mentioning the name might be backbiting. So one has to think a little bit careful, carefully. Um, and one has to have the right intention. Uh in order to know when and when, when and when not to disclose uh, the bad behavior or the sin of another. Likewise, if it's someone whose harm is affecting society as a whole, here is someone who, unfortunately, the Muslim community, some some people in the Muslim community have realized he's only trying to marry sisters for what what do they call it in America for a green card. He's done that two. He's done that two or three times, or he's you know he's got that attitude, or I know that for sure, or, or someone told me this, whatever, and it's established. Then in that case, I can actually uh, tell the sister, tell the family, and I'm I might even uh, I, I I can even go to the local mosque and tell the imam, and the imam and other committee members and community members can get together and decide do they want to publicly mention that so that this uh, this wicked man uh, cannot uh, perpetrate his dhulam on others because the community will now fully be aware of, of him as an instance. Um, otherwise, how do we deal with someone continually causing harm? It depends what harm, what situation, why, where and when. It's not an answer that I can give specific details to. Uh, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgive us, increase us in, in, in goodness, uh, guide us to the paths of his good pleasure. Allahumma inna nasaluka hubbaka wa hubba may yuhibbuka wa hubba amalin yuqaribuna ila hubbik. Oh Allah, grant us your love and the love of those whom you love and the love of those deeds which will draw us closer to your love. وآخر الدعوانا 
Anilhamdilahirabilamin. Thank you very much. Wajazakumullah khairan. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah.